Hey there, it's Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR. Before we get into the next episode, I wanted to ask that you subscribe to the show. It'll help us get even more unique and interesting guests on the podcast and in turn continue to educate management teams and the growing ecosystem that creates value for fast-growing private and public companies. And while you're at it, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating. Very much appreciated. In aggregate, we're going after $12 billion in potential market opportunity. So unmet medical needs means that the competition is really not there. There's great medical upside, and we can go after multiple things with a single therapy. When it comes to healthcare, if you want to be a disruptor, you need to have a cutting-edge approach to a very challenging problem. We think our approach to this is innovative. I think it's going to take sort of fundamental step function innovation to really innovate in the brain cancer market. And that's what we bring to bear. Being a public company can be hard. Small missteps can have outsized consequences. I'm Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR, and over the last 20 years, we've helped thousands of companies understand and navigate the stock market and the media. We'll demystify these and other increasingly complex stakeholder groups so you can focus on what you do best, building your company, and unlocking your true potential. This is Welcome to the Arena. Millions of Americans with medical conditions spend years waiting for breakthrough solutions. Today's guest is using the latest medical technology to significantly improve cancer treatment outcomes. Today, we're sitting down with Dr. Mark Hedrick, president and CEO at Plus Therapeutics, whose stock trades under the symbol PSTV. Previously, Dr. Hedrick served in a number of executive leadership roles, including president, CEO, and director of Cytori Therapeutics, and president and CEO of StemSource. He's a trained general vascular and plastic surgeon and former associate professor of surgery and pediatrics at UCLA. He also served as co-director of the Laboratory of Regenerative Bioengineering and Repair at UCLA. Dr. Hedrick received his MD from University of Texas Southwestern Medical School, Dallas, and an MBA from the Anderson School at UCLA in 2005. We talked about his company's incredible new technology that is revolutionizing how some cancers can be treated. Let's enter the arena with Dr. Mark Hedrick. You know, as you mentioned, Tom, I'm an academic surgeon and, and researcher, and I was on the faculty at UCLA and had the opportunity to, to start a company. It's kind of a long story, but did one thing and, and did another, and I've been in healthcare technology and drug development for over 20 years. I, I miss medicine, but I'm in the process of talking to five different patients right now who have a variety of different types of brain cancer, and it keeps me very close to it, keeps me very patient-centric. And I know that you know what I'm doing every day is, is a multiplier effect, because if we can get the technology out to anybody that has a disease, I could treat many more patients than I would otherwise treat as a practicing physician. Well, from the way I understand it, the company's vision is to turn debilitating central nervous system cancers into controllable chronic diseases. How do you position the company for that outcome? It's, it's a great question. That's, it's, a, it's sort of a crazy thing to say. You take these, these diseases that are essentially universally fatal. There are death sentence. They're relatively uncommon, but almost all of us know somebody that's had brain cancer 
or type of brain cancer or a friend of a friend that's had it. So it's an aspirational statement, obviously, but the trials that we're doing today and the therapies that we have today are actually doing it, in my view. So we're not talking about science fiction. I think we're talking about just around the corner, just a, a trial or two away and an FDA approval away from being there. And the, one of the fundamental problems with pretty much almost any kind of brain cancer that's malignant is it's very difficult to eradicate because the surrounding real estate, the brain, is so expensive and so critical. So it becomes a matter of when it recurs, can you knock it down again? In other words, sort of play whack-a-mole with the tumor. And we're able to deliver very, very high doses of radiation multiple times to patients so that we can start thinking about maybe brain cancer like diabetes. Well, you mentioned radiotherapeutics, and maybe people listening don't know exactly what that is. What are radiotherapeutics generally? And then what's your approach to that? How is it different from maybe others in the space? So taking it from uh, top from the really high level, so radiation in one form or fashion is used in almost half or so of, of cancers that are out there. So it's, a, it's an anchor part of the treatment for any kind of cancer. Targeted radiotherapeutics overcome a key limitation of radiation is that you have to go through normal tissues to get the radiation beam to the tumor. And so it creates complications or downsides for the patient. So targeted radiotherapeutics is just what it sounds. You're really putting the radiation right on the tumor, but you're sparing the normal tissues that don't have the cancer. And what that allows us to do in particular is give 10 or 20 times more radiation to the tumor than you can typically give with radiation beams, for example. And the, this theory sort of holds sound, and that is if you can get enough radiation to the cancer, you will kill the cancer. It's axiomatic. So that's what we're trying to do. Target the radiotherapy energy right to the tumor, spare the normal things, give super high doses, eradicate the tumor, but leave the normal tissue intact. Tell me about your pipeline. How do you choose which cancers to focus on and go after? What kind of economics might drive that decision for you? So we've increasingly, from the time we started down this journey of targeted radiotherapeutics, increasingly focused on the central nervous system oncology applications, so brain cancers, and there are a variety of types of that. Why have we done that? Most of them are unmet medical needs. For example, for a current brain cancer, there's been one drug approved in the last 10 years, and it doesn't prolong life. These are diseases that don't have good options, but they have what I call scalable synergies in the sense that if the mechanism of action works for one kind of brain cancer, there's a good chance it'll work for another one. And so they're sort of the biological limitations. If you overcome it for one thing, the same therapeutic can be used elsewhere. It's almost like a economies of scale sort of idea, but it's the same providers. It's the same call points. There are lots of things that make the idea of going after CNS malignancies sort of efficient, not to mention the fact that it's enormous medical medical need. Now, if you look at the, the markets that we're going after, even those are what are known as rare cancers, in aggregate, we're going after $12 billion in potential market opportunity. So unmet medical needs means that the competition is really not there. There's great medical upside, and we can go after multiple things with a single therapy. Your whole life, you've probably been committed to innovation, and PLUS is no different. How are you all driving innovation for targeted drug delivery in the radiotherapeutic space, particularly the two drugs, Renium 
Obisbamida and 188 RNL I, I don't I hope I pronounced that right. I've been practicing. You're, you're dead on. No, perfect. So part of our approach to innovation is based on our business model. We're a company that has some aspects of virtual and some aspects of our own development. So a little bit of a hybrid model. We're also very active on the business development side. So we, we look at about 30 different opportunities a year. We've done four transactions in the last four or so years to bring in technology to complement what we do. So there's lots of great things out there in academic institutions that we can bring in. We can bring in additional expertise to beef up the competence of the team in a new area. And then we can sort of jumpstart the development process. So we like that model and we're, we're committed to that. We do have a 10,000 square foot fully capitalized GMP-capable manufacturing facility in San Antonio that we leverage significantly, but we also like to go outside of the company to find new technology. It's a very capital-efficient way, frankly, to develop drugs. So we, we build out our pipeline around CNS opportunities. And it, as I mentioned, with target, targeted radiotherapeutics, there are kind of two ways to look at it. One is there's molecular targeting, and then the, the other way is direct targeting. In the CNS, because something called the blood-brain barrier Drugs just generally will not go past this barrier that's between the regular body and the brain. So we have to use something called direct targeting, which forces us to work with most innovative imaging on the planet, the most innovative medical devices to deliver drugs directly to brain tumors, for example. Radiation dosimetry techniques, which allow us three-dimensional computation of how much radiation we're actually getting to the tumor. All those things kind of we bring to bear with our drug which makes it a very unique approach to the targeted radiotherapeutic space. Yeah. What is the clinical data showing on the Renium Obisbamida? You know, can you talk about how it works and what the data you're seeing has been? Yeah, that drug, as I mentioned, can be used for a variety of different indications. So let me focus on where we probably have the most data, which is glioblastoma, which is a brain cancer that once it recurs, and we're treating right now just the recurrent glioblastoma, and it always recurs, by the way. You essentially aren't cured after the initial treatment. Those patients live about about eight months on average. So what we do is when they recur, the patient gets an MRI scan. We evaluate the tumor. We determine where up to four to five catheters might be placed to cover the tumor with our drug. The patient. This is all done before the patient goes to the hospital, by the way. The patient goes into the hospital, goes almost directly to the operating room, the neurosurgeon takes that data from our case plan, loads it into the neuro, neuro navigational system in the operating room, places the catheters into the brain, secures them to the bone so they don't move around. Patient spends a night in the hospital and then goes down to the nuclear medicine suite. And over the course of a, of a few hours, we deliver 10 to 20 times the amount of radiation that you can typically give to these patients directly into the tumor. Once the drug's delivered, we image the patient, make sure everything looks good. We can quantitate how much radiations to the tumor. Catheters come out, the patient goes home, and that's it. So compare that to how radiations typically now today delivered in patients that have brain cancer. They come in for six weeks, five days a week. They get little amounts of radiation or fractionated radiation every day for six weeks. They come in a couple of nights in the hospital, and they get 10 to 20x amount of radiation with our approach and then go home. So if a patient that we treated in the last few months who's softball player, I believe he's in his 70s, and I was, I was there at the case. I was talking to him for the time he was having the drug infused. So he's, you know, perfectly wide awake, just lying there on the scanner. I'm watching the drug go in, talking to him. He's talking about playing softball and 
wanting to you know get back on his feet. So actually, he and I are running in a 5K where he lives a week from Friday. So you know we'll run together, and this is somebody that you know had you know significant amount of radiation put in his brain, avoided surgery, had our procedure. And is back up playing softball, and I'm going to be running in a 5K with him in a week or so. So it's unbelievable to hear. I know Plus has a number of partnerships and collaborations with other companies and institutions. How do those relationships kind of contribute to the overall strategy, and what do you look for in a potential partner? It's a great question. We, I think about it in terms of three buckets of partnership. You probably know, and maybe some of your audience knows, but in radio therapeutics, the supply chain is even more critical because you have a an isotope that's decaying over time. You effectively have very little shelf life. So building in a supply chain and supply chain relationships, contract manufacturing or organizations is a critical part of the, the partnering approach that we have. So that's kind of one set. And we've really got a very mature supply chain given where we are today in our development. The second area is academic and funding. We strive to be incredibly capital efficient. And one thing we do is we're good at getting grants, in fact, significant grants. In August of last year, we got nearly an $18 million grant from the state of Texas. Texas is the second largest funder of cancer research in the world behind the NIH. And that funds one of our programs all the way through phase two. So those academic collaboration and funding sources are critical. The third bucket is commercial-related partnerships. And we're having those discussions right now. I think we're a bit early, from my perspective, to move one of those into a you know a full-scale contractualized relationship. But we're getting interest. We think there will be interest when the time is right. And that's something that we kind of look forward to. We think there'll be a lot of commercial interest in our products if we continue to show the success we're seeing in the clinic. Just as an aside, how did you make it through COVID? You know, I mean, the challenges presented by conducting clinical trials, interacting with patients and healthcare providers, how did you manage through that? It was really a weird time, as everyone out there knows. Because of the urgency of the the diagnosis of brain cancer, I can't say that we had any slowdowns related to patient enrollment because patient visits were deferred. Patients still had to be treated. They had brain cancer. The, the hospitals, you know, worked around that. So that that wasn't so much the the issue, which was maybe for other people that have kind of less acute medical trials that they were doing. The issue for us was, and frankly still is, is staffing in hospitals. The research organizations within hospitals, in our view, at major academic medical centers, are having a tough time hanging on to, to good people. A lot of pharmaceutical companies or CROs are recruiting patients from universities to do trials corporately. So that's been our biggest issue. And so it means we have to be a lot more flexible in terms of what sites that we go to. We have to cast a wider net. We have to maybe work a bit differently with institutions who maybe are understaffed. So we've had to sort of bridge the gap. I think we've done that well, but I don't see that that problem has resolved, nor do I think it will over the next year or so. Maybe a year or two later, it might, but not now. still a problem. The CNS market in the U.S. is highly competitive and rapidly growing. I asked Dr. Hedrick what some of the challenges are that Plus Therapeutics is facing when introducing a new treatment to the market. The CNS space, on one hand, and as I mentioned before, high unmet medical need. And frankly, in the recurrent glioblastoma, recurrent brain cancer setting, 
All that's available really are repurposed drugs or clinical trials. So clinical trials are right up there in the thinking process for almost every patient that gets the diagnosis. On the flip side, because it's such a, we're talking about maybe 12, 13,000 patients newly diagnosed in the U.S. every year, there's a lot of competition for patients. So one of the things we're really focused on, if you look at our websites, you look at our materials, our marketing materials, the way that we operate and execute as a clinical trial organization we have to market our trial to patients. So we have to be out there. I have to be talking to patients and physicians, our team does. So we want our trial to be front of mind and getting our patient stories. For example, the gentleman that I'm running with this week, we want to get those stories out there so we can incentivize institutions to partner with us and put this trial on their slate of offerings to patients and be part of the team. So, you know, it's kind of interesting how a public company in life sciences manages the science piece with the business piece. Maybe talk about the balance sheet and your capitalization strategy. How do you think about that and how long are you funded? Yeah. So the the context is, it kind of goes back to maybe 2019 or so when we really in earnest decided that targeted radiotherapeutics was an important aspect of the future of oncologic therapy. We've had about one to three years of cash pretty continually since then, and that's roughly where we are right now. We have two lead programs, both of which are funded through phase two, one by the NIH, and that's our glioblastoma program, and one for cancer called leptomeningeal metastases, which is funded by the state of Texas. I mentioned that's the approximately $18 million grant. So our mindset is we're not going to embark upon a program unless we have either the cash in hand or we have line of sight of funding. We'll apply for three-plus grants this year, all over seven figures. Being located in Texas is great for us. There are $6 billion in funding that have been approved by the Texas voters for oncology research, both academically and from a corporate perspective. The other thing is we haven't really done a formal capital raise since 2019, and that's not our intention. We keep our costs low. We're very capital efficient. We've used our ATM and an equity line sporadically and periodically, but for some reason, we're a unique company. We have days where we'll trade more than Apple does in terms of number of shares. And so when we do, it's very easy to take down a few million dollars with a very low cost of capital without warrants, without the typical bells and whistles that come with traditional financings in our space to small to medium-sized companies. That's our plan and uh, kind of leveraging non-dilutive sources and low cost of capital sources. And when we get to a phase three, we'll likely have to go out and do a you know more formal deal, but it'll be on the heels of a deal that will get us all the way to approval ultimately. When you look across the competitive landscape, what is your market opportunity as you see it from a business perspective? CNS cancers, as I've mentioned before, just don't have the competitive we're not we're going into a market post-approval that has a, a competitive landscape of potential opportunities. The unmet medical needs are enormous. The second thing is, and I'll go back to the, again, when I mentioned the blood-brain barrier, is that it really restricts down the types of therapies that one can use. And largely, those trials have not borne new therapies in the last decade or so. We think our approach to this is innovative. I think it's going to take sort of fundamental step function innovation to really innovate in the brain cancer market. And that's what we bring to bear. So the idea for us is to focus to a great degree on the clinical development, but we also have the firepower internally to be able to commercialize that internally. In fact, we're continuing to invest along the way in our supply chain, 
in our medical economic evaluation, looking at pricing and reimbursement schemes and so forth, so that when we get our drug approved, we'll be ready to go commercially, either alone or with a partner. So you can't just focus on the clinical development. You have to focus on the bigger picture. What are the competitors doing and what are you going to need to be successful in the clinic? And, and then finally, you know, being in the clinic right now, I mean, we're developing the next commercial relationships we're going to have with physicians and hospitals. And so we don't take that responsibility and that requirement lightly. And so we're thinking ultimately about being commercially successful. And it's important to do it now, not wait for two years from now. Being commercially successful certainly takes the right team. And that's one of the hardest things to do and assemble. Talk about the leadership group at Plus, kind of the culture, how the team is positioning the company to go to the next level. We built around a core of, of individuals that have extensive experience in commercialization of brain cancer treatments. And one of our executives was on the team that helped launch Bevucizumab. And then we've added two very seasoned radiotherapeutics executives, one of which probably has more radiotherapeutic approvals under his belt than maybe anybody in the country. He's certainly right up there with a lot of experience, both on the clinical development side, but on the regulatory management side. So the key thing is, is identifying for us the human capital at the managerial level that has that raw experience in the field and a proven track record of success. And then in the remainder of the company, human capital is a lot more nuanced these days than it was maybe post-COVID. You've got generations that are coming up to the organization that have different expectations about work environment. You've got the post-COVID aftermath and people have expectations about how they work and working from home and are working virtually. So we've embraced that. We've embraced a technology platform going well beyond Zoom and other things to make reporting, goal setting, communication much more seamless and seems to be working right now. I'm really enthusiastic about that. And uh, so our team's kind of all over the map, but it's, it really seems to be working well. Yeah. Well, you talked about the grant earlier, and I know you're based in Austin and San Antonio. Talk a bit about the entrepreneurial ecosystem in the state and also mention kind of the Cancer Prevention and Research Institute of Texas where you got that grant. One of the newest medical schools in the country is based in, in Austin. So there's a real techie entrepreneurial vibe that's there. And obviously, Texas, I mean, growing up ever since I remember, is very entrepreneurial, very kind of swashbuckling from a, a a business creation perspective, and kind of layer that in on five or six medical schools, three of the top 10 to 12 city markets in the country. You've got a very low cost of living. And then you layer on secret, which you mentioned, which is the Cancer Prevention Research Institute of Texas, which is funding that goes specifically to oncology. It's one of the reasons we moved from San Diego to Texas, quite frankly, was to take advantage of that. Fortunately, it's worked out. But the healthcare ecosystem, I think, is really on the upswing. It may not have the capital sophistication on the biotech side that, say, Boston or the Bay Area, San Diego has, but it's up and coming. And the capital's there. The state's all in. If you want to be in any place to start an oncology company in the U.S. right now, it's in Texas. If you looked out 10 years, what would you see? How do you think the management of those central nervous system cancers how far will they have come? And I assume your answer will include radiotherapeutics being part of that. But how do you see the next decade? Yeah, you know, our big picture goal is to turn these lethal CNS cancers into chronic diseases that can be managed like diabetes. It would be crazy to say, okay, we're going to cure them. And we're just, that's a bridge too far right now. But it's not crazy for the reasons I explained before that we could turn these into chronic diseases. 
A fundamental problem with all the drug approaches where you put the drug, you either take a pill or you have intravenous injection, is you've got to get it past the blood-brain barrier. There's some checkpoint inhibitors and other drugs that are in development that can cross, but it's really a minority of the overall ecosystem of drugs that are being developed. So I think there'll be an opportunity for systemic therapies, but we know that the number one impactor of brain cancers right now is radiation. You get the most return on length of life by using radiation. So I think what we provide is a completely different way to enhance what is the best current killer of brain cancer, which is radiation. And then it will marry that with up and coming small molecule or other druggable approaches that are delivered intravenously most likely. And so it'll be a combination therapy. And I think we alone can turn CNS cancers into chronic diseases based on our approach. But adding the pure play intravenously delivered pharma part of that will be able to enhance that. And so it'll be a uh, you know, group of therapies that all contribute to making that big goal a reality. Mark, I always ask this to public companies. When you sit down with someone who you feel like just doesn't get it, what do they miss about the story that they just don't understand how valuable the business is? What do they kind of either gloss over or misunderstand? I think for us specifically right now, market cap's always an issue, right? Investors have mandates in terms of when they can invest. And if the company has a high market cap, it's an opportunity for certain types of investors, whereas it might not be for others. But that all is going to take care of itself. That doesn't worry me. I think we're really catching up. We made a lot of progress in 2020. In fact, we made we almost made more progress than we can communicate. And in 2023, it's a real focus on getting the data out there. We've gone from a sleepy little company in Texas who had one phase one now, very soon we'll have two phase twos and be thinking about a pivotal trial and an important unmet medical need. That's a very important thing. You just, you've, you've got to find the right listener to your story for based on where you are in your corporate development. The other thing is, if you look at the targeted radiotherapeutic space in general, most of the companies that we consider our radiotherapeutic peers, they've built a supply chain operation where they're, they do contract manufacturing. They build that first, and then the, the idea, I think, is the drug development pipeline will come behind that. We've taken the total opposite approach. We've got to go out and sell that, and that is we've outsourced the supply chain. We've got a good, strong, predictable supply chain. We spend a lot of time and effort in building that out, but we've really focused on the clinical development, and we think that for the average healthcare investor, building out the clinical pipeline, treating traditional milestones, having good relationship with the FDA and the agency, being transparent about, about the data, getting that data out there in a way that is transparent so investors and experts in the field can evaluate it, getting the appropriate key opinion leaders on board. That's kind of drug development 101, and that's what we're really focused on and let the market take care of the, and our partners take care of the supply chain. So that's allowed us to be a smaller, more nimble company with fixed cost capital investment, and we can focus the capital we have on getting patients through our trials, manufacturing data, and getting the data into the hands of regulators so we can get an approved drug and change the way brain cancer patients are treated. Plus Therapeutics is taking a unique approach to radiation therapy. Their high target method reduces the risk factors and symptoms patients traditionally face and increases survival rates. It's really an exciting innovation that will change a lot of lives. 
At Welcome to the Arena, we're working really hard to bring you exciting guests and great content. If you found this episode insightful, subscribe to the show on your podcast app and leave us a five-star rating. The more the show grows, the more interesting voices we can have on the podcast. And in turn, that should demystify a lot of the stakeholders around public companies and soon-to-be public companies. Thanks for listening. I'd like to thank Dr. Mark Hedrick for being on the show today. Plus Therapeutic Strategy and Exceptional Management Team is changing the landscape of cancer treatment and propelling the company into the future. This is Tom Ryan. We'll see you next time back in the arena. References to specific stocks are not intended to be recommendations for specific trading behavior. Comments presented on this podcast are intended for informational and educational purposes only and do not represent opinions or recommendations on whether to buy, sell, or hold shares of a particular stock. All investors are advised to conduct their own independent research into individual stocks before making a trading decision. In addition, investors are advised that past stock performance is no guarantee of future price performance.